the last couple weeks now, we've been looking through the second chapter of the book of Ephesians, and we've been looking at what it means to be saved. The word saved is a word that most believers recognize in its context and used by another believer. If you're talking to a, another believer and you say, when did you get saved? Or tell me how you got saved? Or what's your salvation story? As a believer, we instantly know what they're talking about. But most of the unsaved world, unless they've been in church for some amount of time, the unsaved world doesn't understand that, that, that language, doesn't understand that, that lingo that we use. And so we've been diving deep to see what it really means, that word saved means. Uh, in the first week, we answered the question, why we need to be saved. Every one of us, no matter who you are, no matter where you grew up, no matter what you do for a living, no matter how good or how bad you may be, every one of us needed to be saved because, first of all, we were born dead. It's hard to understand when you tell a, a non-believer, why do I need to be saved? Well, because you're dead. They're like, well, no, I'm not dead. I'm alive. I'm breathing. My heart's beating. I'm thinking most of the time. And so I'm not dead. But we were born, every one of us, no matter who you are, we're born spiritually dead. We need to be saved because we were disobedient. Because we were born dead, we were disobedient to God. Everything God said to do, even if we, we thought we were doing good and trying to obey, you know, the Big Ten, the Ten Commandments, we're trying to obey them. No matter what we did, our life was disobedient to the Word of God and disobedient to our Heavenly Father because we were spiritually dead. Because we were dead and because we were disobedient, we were dominated by the flesh, by sin and the devil. We, we sinned because that was our nature. Our nature was to sin, so we couldn't do anything else. We were born disobedient and dominated by God. And we need to be saved because we were doomed. Because of our dead state, because of our dominance, because we were, we were disobedient to God, we were doomed to an eternity separated from God in a very real place called hell. No matter who you are or how good you are or how you grew up or if you've been to church all your life or whatever, everyone was born in need of salvation. Last week we saw what it means to be saved. Once we've accepted Christ as our Savior, we were dead, but now we are greatly loved by God. We were dead, but now we're made alive. We were disobedient. We've been given a new life, and we've been secure in our future. So we needed to be saved, and we saw why we needed to be saved, and we saw what it means to be saved and what salvation actually give us. And so this week, we're going to answer the question, who is working in salvation? Who does the work of saving? And what's the purpose of salvation? So look in your Bibles in Ephesians chapter 2, starting in verse number 8. If you've been in church any amount of time, these are probably very familiar verses to you. You can probably quote them without even looking at your Bible on the screen. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. Not of works, lest any man should boast. For we are his workmanship. Created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. There's a, a lot of talk about work in these verses. Salvation is, is not of works, it's a gift of God. But we are God's workmanship. And so since we are God's workmanship, we should walk in good works. So if we are his workmanship, though then it is God that does the work. As his work, what it means is he, we are his workmanship, we're a project 
that God's working on. Now, most of you have noticed that we, we've done some new things to the nursery doors. We've, we've cut them in half. That was Clarence's doing. And if he hadn't have done it, we, wouldn't, we would have left the doors alone. But I show up one day and Clarence cut the doors in half, so we had to fix it. But so Clarence, we asked him to cut the doors in half. And uh, then we put the, the countertop on and we'll put the, the deadbolt and the bolts on there so people can't get back there freely. And, man, it's working great. I haven't seen Colton in two weeks. And that's, that's quite disturbing to me. Sarah will not let me back there. And I'm like, I'm the pastor. She's like, I don't care. So I have to check myself in the nursery just to see Colton. But we did it for some security reasons, some other things. But, you know, me and John, the, the last work day we had, people were painting in the gym. And me and John were up here, and we were doing the, the, the doors and putting in the, the countertops there and just making it all look nice. And so we did all the work. And so those, those doors, they are mine and John's workmanship. Now, because they're mine and John's workmanship, they're not perfect. They're okay. They're good, but they're not perfect. But they, the, those the, that countertop, it didn't do anything to be attached to that door. All it did was let me work with it. All it did was, was be material. And so in salvation, we are God's workmanship, so God does the work. And so when we saw the first week that the word saved in these verses, it is in the perfect present tense. That means that being saved is a one-time event that has eternal effects. So God is the one that does the work in us and through us for salvation. But the work he does in us and through us creates works that come out of us as a consequence from the work that God does in us. It's what Paul talks about in Philippians chapter 2 verse 12 where he says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. He doesn't mean you have to work to earn your salvation because you can't. He said, obviously, in Ephesians, it said many times throughout the New Testament, you can do nothing to earn your salvation. So Paul is not saying, hey, you better work to earn your salvation because that would be a contradiction. And listen, there are no contradictions in the Bible. None. You say, well, pastor, I read here and it say, that's because you don't understand it. There are no, no contradictions in the Bible. And so what, we, what Paul is saying here is we work out because of the work that God has worked in. Our working out is a reaction of what God has done inside of us through salvation. So who is working in salvation? Well, it is God working in us. And we are to work out what God has worked in. We're gonna, I'm going to clarify that throughout this message. I know some of you are like, huh? Well, it'll be clear, I promise you. Throughout the history of the church, believers have misunderstood and gotten this truth out of balance. Salvation is radical because it shifts our pattern a belief. It is a gift of God. It is the work of God. Salvation has everything to do with God and nothing to do with us. And we don't really understand that. We're very self-centered. We're very prideful. So we can't understand, okay, well, we, here's what we typically think. Well, God did most of the work, but I still have to do something. No, no, no. It is all of God. And it's radical because we're sitting here thinking, so there's there's nothing I have to do to earn my salvation. No. There's nothing you could do 
to earn your salvation. So we were dead, and through the power of death, the burial and resurrection of Jesus Christ, we were made alive to God. And it all happened through Jesus Christ. We did nothing to earn or to help in the work of salvation, and that goes against our culture because we are self Focused. We want to be the center of everything. And salvation shifts us from realizing it has nothing to do with us. And God is the center of it all. And nothing of us. We are his workmanship. We bear his image. The work that we do because of the work he did in us is supposed to bring glory to God, not to us. Jesus said it this way. Let your light so shine before men, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify you because you're such an awesome person. No. He's let your light so shine before men that men may see your good works and think, man, they sure are super Christian. No, he says, let your light so shine before men that they see your good works and it glorifies your Father, which is in heaven. Any work we do for God because of the work he's done in us is never meant to bring us glory. It's never meant for people to look at us and say, man, they are such awesome people. They are the greatest. No, no, no. We're, if anyone ever says that, I say, no, no, it's not me. It's nothing to me. It is all of God working in me. So in the middle of the works and the demonstration of God's goodness in our lives, we are not supposed to absorb any of the praise or the glory that comes from that. We are to reflect that glory and that praise to God. It is all meant for him, not for us. We are saved by the work of God. We are changed by the work of God. And all the glory and all the credit goes to God. Because he did all the work. All we did was allow him to work. That's a radical shift of thinking in our society. We want the glory to go to us. We want people to think about, look, that's one reason I love testimonies and people talking about their salvation story and how good they, you know, and, and how good God's been to them. But a lot of times we'll hear salvation and we'll hear some, some stories that are incredible. Like we'll hear stories about people who just came from the worst possible situations. All oh, they were, were drug addicts and prostitutes and all these horrible, horrible things. And then God came in and saved them and man, they were gangbangers and murderers on death row and just horrible, horrible people, and God saved them. And now look, oh, now look, they're, they're wonderful, great Christians preaching the gospel, seeing thousands saved, and that's wonderful, that's great. But the tendency is people seem to look at that and think, oh, man, he's a great guy. Look at how far he has brought himself. No, no, no. He didn't bring himself nowhere. God did it through him. So the purpose is to say, oh, man, look how good God is, and he can take something like that and do something like this. And look, if you're, if you're sitting here thinking, well, I was never that bad. Yeah, you were. I was never a murderer. Yeah, you were. I was never this horrible person. Yeah, you were. And no matter how bad you were in man's eyes, you were filthy and wretched and disgusting and an enemy in God's eyes. And any good that comes out of you after salvation is because of the work that God has done in you and the glory all goes to him. So understanding who is doing the work comes from shifting our mindset to understanding that salvation is all a work of God. And we want to, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, we want them to be glorified because of that work. And so in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8, chapter, verse 8 and 10, there's a work that God does for us, there's the work that God does in us, 
And then there's the works that we do as a result of those works. And so we, we need to get the works right. So this morning, as we finish up looking at this word saved, let's see who does the works of salvation. Well, first of all, salvation is a work of God in us. Look at verse 8 again. For by grace are you saved through faith, that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. Now, in the first seven verses of Ephesians 2, Paul has spent some time telling us what our state was before salvation. Remember, he's talking to believers who they've been saved, and he's reminding them what they were before they got saved. So they didn't get too prideful or too puffed up. And so he's telling them what they were before God and what we've been given in Christ. He shows them that there is no way that they could have been saved apart from God's grace. It is all of God's work and none of our work. And so it had to be God's grace because chapter begins by telling us we were dead in our trespasses and sins. And here's, here's something I know we all understand we need to realize. Dead people don't do nothing. You ever seen a dead guy get up and walk around and go to work in the morning? No, you, maybe in zombie movies. But in real life, that doesn't exist. Dead people can't do anything. All dead people can do is be dead. That's it. That's what they're great at, is being dead. And we were dead. And we couldn't do anything. And so since we were dead and couldn't do anything, it had to be God's grace that saved us and nothing of us because we were dead. And we couldn't do anything. We were dead. We weren't sick. We weren't almost dead. We were dead. Because our sin had killed our relationship between us and God, and we didn't even want God anymore. It must have been God's grace and not our good works because we were told we were dominated by sin, the world, and the devil. Because we were dead, we were dominated by the things of the world and the things of Satan. And so we were dead. It had to be God's grace because we couldn't do anything. We were dominated. It had to be God's grace because we were dominated by these things. We could not do what we were doing. It must have been God's grace and not our good works because our passions and our desires put us at odds against God. It had to be God's grace because you were born an enemy of God. And there was nothing you could do to get on his side of your own. It had to be God's grace. It must have been God's grace and not our good works because we were born under the wrath of God. And these verses make it very clear. Our situation was much worse than we realized. We weren't just sick. We were dead. We weren't just prone to sin. We were dominated by sin. We weren't just sometimes disagreed with God. We were completely opposed to God. We were under the wrath of God, and there was nothing we could do about it because we were doomed to hell forever. So it had to be God's grace and nothing of us because we couldn't do anything for it. We were surrounded everywhere with hopelessness. All of us were spiritually dead, full of sinful, selfish desires and under the wrath of God because of our sin. And the only way for us to be saved was for God, out of his grace, to do something outside of us to save us. The salvation we have received is all through the work of God through his grace. Then Paul goes on to describe what salvation does and the incredible gifts 
that salvation has given us. Now, typically, when we think about salvation, we, we talk about it in terms of God having mercy on us and showing us love and kindness and grace. And all those things are true, but they don't describe the specific nature of what God actually did. Because we were dead and doomed and couldn't do anything and Jesus did it all and God did it all, what we get from salvation is God has united his people with his son, Jesus Christ. His love, his mercy, his favor and grace prompted him to do the unthinkable and unite us with his son through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Here's what Paul's saying here. He's saying that we share in the life of Christ because of the work that God has done in us. Jesus Christ, he died and rose again to forgive us of every sin, but also so we could be joint heirs with him. He died, was buried, and rose again so we could receive everything he receives. Everything the resurrected Christ gets, we now get. His father becomes our father. His spirit becomes our spirit. His life becomes our life. His righteousness becomes our righteousness. God's love for him becomes God's love for us. Look at verse number 4 in Ephesians chapter 2. It says, But God, who is rich in mercy for his great love, wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, has quickened us together with Christ by grace. You are saved, and has raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. We are alive because we are united with Christ. Everything he gets, we get. That is what our salvation is. It was the love and the grace that motivated God to send his son to reconcile us to God the Father. No work of ours could ever contribute to this. We could never warrant that type of salvation. We were dead. We couldn't do anything. And God wants us to know that all we had to do was receive the gift that he had done. We receive it, but he did all the work for us. Look at verses 8 and 9 again. For by grace are you saved, through faith, not of yourselves. It's a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Paul is, is being redundant here on purpose. It is not our doing at all. It is all a result of of the works of God. He knows that we, we tend to forget this. Even if we intellectually know it, we like to take a little bit of the credit for our salvation for ourselves. Our pride makes us think we still need to do our part. We can't understand that faith solely comes through faith. We want to believe that we brought something to the table. Yeah, it's faith, but we, we did a little something to earn it. We worked a little hard to, to put that faith into practice. The gospel is hard because it is God saying, your works don't mean anything. Our salvation is totally dependent on God's grace. The people who, who got the most angry with Jesus during his ministry, it, it wasn't the immoral people. It wasn't the sinners. It wasn't the people that the, the religious people thought were unworthy. It was the moral people. It was the religious people. They were the ones that got most mad at him because he told them their works, their discipline, their consistency, their morals, it didn't do anything. 
it didn't impress God at all. Isaiah chapter 64, 6 says, But we all are as an unclean thing, and all our righteousness are as filthy rags, and we all do fade away as a leaf, and our iniquities like the wind have taken us away. Hey, even your best day, the day where you wake up and you're, you're kind to everyone, and you, you pay for the coffee of the guy behind you, and you're, you're sweet to your kids, and you're kind to your mother-in-law, which, man, alive, praise God. And so you do all these things right, and you're working hard, and you're being good, and you're not cussing, and you're only watching Andy Griffith. Man, your best day does nothing to steer God's favor to you. God looks at your best day and says, that's, that's filthy to me. That's disgusting to me. That's worthless to me. God's works means nothing. Good works means nothing in terms of your salvation. And when we hear that, then another, another danger we have is we hear that and say, oh, well, then God doesn't care about good works. So we get to do whatever we want to do, right? We begin to believe that if we believe in God's grace, we can do whatever we want. That brings us to our second point. Salvation is a work of God in us, but number two, salvation makes us want to do good works for God. Our text clearly shows us that God cares a lot about good works, but he cares about them after you're saved. Your good works before salvation do nothing for God. Your good works after salvation, God cares a great deal about good works flow out of our salvation. Again, look at verse number 8. For by grace are you saved through faith, not of yourselves, as a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. So no work we can do, any, we can do nothing to save us. But then look at verse 10. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto or for good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. We are united with Christ. We are seated with him in the heavenlies, and the fruit of that relationship is good works. And the Bible says God has been preparing the works he wants us to do before salvation. When God was planning your salvation, he was planning your good works. Good works can do nothing to save us, to make us alive, but good works are a sign we've been resurrected with Christ. Good works do nothing to save you, but good works show that you have been saved. If they're just a fruit or a sign, then why do we do them? I mean, let's, let's get honest here. If good works don't do anything to save us, good works after salvation, they don't get you a bigger mansion in heaven. They don't get you closer to the line when you go see Jesus. You don't get, to, you know, you got to, you don't get a VIP badge. And get to go have a backstage pass with Jesus in heaven. It doesn't do anything to earn you any special favors in heaven. So if, if, if we, we, they don't get us anything, why do we not actually do them? What is supposed to motivate us to do good works? Because let's get honest here. There's no real consequence if we don't obey. So why would we ever obey and do good works? See, God knew we would think like this. And so he answers that argument through Paul in the book of, of Romans. Paul describes the amazing grace of God and then describes what it does in the life of someone who's received it. So in Romans chapter 5, verse 20, Paul here says, Moreover, 
the law entered that the offense might abound. So he's talking pre-law and post-law. He's saying the law was here so that when you sinned, it would, you would understand what you'd done wrong. The law was there to show you you could never live up to God's standard. The law was there to show you how wicked you truly were. So moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound, but where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. That as sin hath raised, reigned unto death, even might, so might grace reign through righteousness unto eternal life by Jesus Christ our Lord. So here's what Paul's saying. If you're in Christ, when your sin increases, when you disobey God, when you violate his word, when you sin against God, the grace of God increases even more on your life. Here's what Paul's saying. God never gets tired of forgiving you. Now look, I'm, I'm grateful of that because I know I need God's forgiveness like constantly, like four times a minute. I need God's forgiveness on my life because I'm doing something wrong all the time. Now, you ever have somebody that's always doing something wrong, always doing, you know, do, hurting you or offending you or, or saying, and they're always apologizing to you? Don't you get sick of forgiving people for the same stupid thing over and over and over again? God doesn't. God never gets tired of forgiving you. Grace reigns over your life no matter how many times you sin. So that brings up a question. If we can mess up and God will always forgive us, then why don't we just keep on sinning? If the more we sin, the more grace we get, let's just sin a whole bunch so we get a whole bunch of grace, right? Well, Paul addresses that as well. Continuing in Romans, but it starts in verse number 6. Verse 1, what shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? He just said, hey, the more you sin, the more grace you get. So, hey, we should just sin a whole bunch so we can get a whole bunch of grace, right? And he says, God forbid. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? Know ye not that so many of us, as we're baptized into Jesus Christ, we're baptized into his death? Therefore, we are buried with him by the baptism into death, that as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we should also walk in newness of life. What Paul is saying there is when you experience the grace of God in your life and you experience God's salvation and God's forgiveness, it prompts you to want to live for God and do good works for God. Not say, well, God always forgives, so I'll send a whole bunch. It's like God is so forgiving, I want to live in such a way that I honor God with my life. Not because you earned it, but because you've been made alive. The grace of God produces good works in the life of the believer. Martin Luther said this. <clears throat> he said, we are saved by faith alone. But the faith that saves is never alone. What he's saying here is we're saved by faith alone, not of works. But if you've truly got saving faith, you're going to want to work for God. You're going to want to serve God. You're going to want to obey God. So when God says, be ye holy for I am holy, you're not going to say, well, it doesn't matter because God's going to forgive me anyway. It's going to, you're going to say, I'm going to live in a, such a way that God, my life brings honor and glory to God. When you see God for who he is, you can't help but follow him. You can't help but live for him. The way the Spirit motivates his people to obey God is not reminding you of all the good works you haven't done. The Spirit of God encourages you and fuels you to obey by reminding you of all the grace that you've been given. 
The Spirit doesn't come in and say, hey, you've not done enough. You need to serve God. The Spirit reminds us, hey, God sure has been good to you. Don't you want to serve Him? Don't you want to live for Him? Don't you want to bring honor to Him? The grace of God does not excuse a flippant attitude towards sin. Grace does not promote complacency. Real grace from God, if you've really experienced it, does not produce complacency towards sin or good works. When you believe and receive the grace of God in your life, you have fervency and zeal to put your sin to death. To say, God, I don't want to live in such a way that shames you or brings dishonor to you. I want to live in such a way that brings honor and glory to God the Father. God took you while you were dead in your transgressions and sins, and he made you alive together with Jesus Christ. And the grace of God in your life promotes us to want to live for God with our life. So who does the works of salvation? God does all the works to get you saved. God works in your life after you're saved, which makes you want to do works for God because you're saved. The Bible says that the fruit of salvation is good works. God has done something that we cannot understand. He has given us a salvation that no good work could ever qualify you for and no sin could disqualify you for. The same grace that saves the immoral, messy, inconsistent, broken person is the same salvation, the same grace that saves the moral, upstanding, disciplined, and faithful person. When you truly experience the saving grace of God, doing good works for Him makes complete and total sense. May we be a people that have experienced God's grace and share in His good works. Let's pray. Heavenly Father.